good to see each of you here today, and this is my first week. We were here all week, and I just love it, uh, getting to know people, and I just want you to know that Jeanine and I, we love people, and we love to get to know you, hang out, have coffee. Uh, what an opportunity today to, uh, to share my story. This is what John asked me to do, so uh, I would like to begin. I, I'm kind of a Jersey guy. I grew up down at the shore. What I want to do today is take about 15 minutes and just share a story about how I came to, to really understand that God exists and then move into a piece that probably is what I love to talk about in regard to how cool and how wonderful our God is. So uh, without further ado, uh, up here there may be a picture of me on the Staten Island Ferry. Because uh, I was like a little Jersey kid and hanging out and my dad worked in the city and somehow we'd go to Staten Island or go down to some of the other places the ferry went and there I was growing up in a home. Unfortunately with all of this I did have a hat and I did have clothes but my family just didn't ever talk about God. My dad was an atheist. My mom was an atheist. God, I can never remember as a conversation with my father or my mother growing up, ever. So it wasn't a matter of let's discuss today as a family whether God exists or he doesn't. He just was never a matter of anybody's discussion, period. In my extended family, I couldn't even think of one person, aunts, great aunts, anywhere, New York to California, who went to church. It's just the way it was for five generations. Life completely without God. Christmas and Easter were confusing as well as Good Friday. What was Christmas about? It was about toys. What was Easter about? I don't know. It was like Easter bunnies. What was Good Friday about? Well, I don't know why it was called good because this Jesus, if he is alive or was alive, he died. What's good about that? I was a really confused little kid. Never went really to church ever. And my whole life changed. I think today if I was going to share a title about this, uh, on the one hand, it's Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, because my life changed there. But even more importantly than that, it's something we sang in, in our worship time together. And that was a little phrase that came up that said this, that's when death was arrested and my life began. A lot of ways we can look at death, but for me, death really was physically arrested from my life at a point in time on a day. And out of that, my life really began. So in a family that never talked about God one day when I was 12 years of age at sixth grade, I don't know what I was doing in sixth grade, maybe I was near Boy Scouts or something, you know, a sixth grade kid doesn't really understand a whole lot, at least I didn't, and my, my friend Bradley goes, hey Dave, my dad just bought a, a new spanking apartment that overlooks the George Washington Bridge in Fort Lee, New Jersey, and he said that I could bring a friend up for the weekend, you want to go? So I said... Yeah, okay, so off I went. He picked us up and zipped us back to Fort Lee, and I can still remember the balcony and the view, the, the George Washington Bridge, and talking to him. And that night, we didn't know this, they was going to have a huge party. So maybe there was 50 people in that apartment, maybe it was a big celebration for getting it. And, uh, you know, I remember Sergeant Pepper, it was the first time this thing had just come out. 
like that week they already had it. I know that's ancient history for some of you. But they were playing it. It was like music I had never heard before. So all of this was going on. About 11 o'clock at night, I had enough of the party. And so uh, my friend and I said, we're going to head off. So uh, he showed us where our place was, a bedroom, down in the lower level of this apartment, off to the left. Bradley took the, the bed by the window. I took the one by the door. And we just went right out. Death was arrested, and my life began. Probably 6 o'clock in the morning. I think this was early summer. Um, I woke up, and I, I, heard, I heard someone screaming. Just someone screaming. I thought I heard bottles breaking. So it was bottles breaking and screaming. And then I heard a dull roar that reminded me of a fire. And I got up out of the bed, and I made a right and walked about 15 steps down to the stairs that would go to the, the upper level. And as I went up, I saw an inferno. It wasn't just flames here and there. It was an inferno. It would kind of be as trapped as if, sorry, drummer, if you were back there drumming with nothing behind you, no way out, and in front of you was a sheet of fire. Um, I walked back to the room. I woke Bradley up, and I said, you know, Bradley, uh, I said, there's a fire. I said, we can't get out. We're trapped. And he said, okay, I'll get up. And he went to the next room, and in the next room, he tried to see if the phones were working to call the fire department. And I sat there for a few moments, and I, I laid back in my bed. And as I laid back in my bed, I was a 12-year-old kid. Some of you have 12-year-old kids. Maybe 12-year-old grandkids, or maybe you're 12. You're 12 and you're younger. I don't want you to fear. This is a very, very rare occurrence. I don't want you to go home thinking this is going to happen to me. It's incredibly rare. But out of that, a good thing happened. And so I lay back in my bed. This is a kid who didn't believe in God, who didn't know anything about God, a kid who had no reason to sit there and expect. I didn't think about God at that moment. I didn't think about heaven. I just was talking and thinking to myself, this is the place I'm going to die. You know, if you have a fear of death and you wonder what's going to happen and what those days and moments are going to be like, I think there's a peace that comes upon you. I didn't deserve that peace because I really didn't have a close relationship at all with Jesus. But I laid in that bed realizing this is where it was ending. Someone said, well, why didn't you get up and, and go to the bathroom and get wet towels and, and put them under the doors and barricade yourself in and tremble like a leaf? I said, I don't know why I didn't. I just laid in the bed. And then all of a sudden, in that quietness, in my soul, came these strong, imperative, commanding, intense words. Get up. Go to that window and look down. Not look around, not look up, not to that window, not to that place down the hall at the bathroom, not to the next room, but that window, a very specific particular window. Well, I didn't have anything else to do. So I got up and went over to that window and I looked down. And balconies started a floor and a half, remember we're half floor, a floor and a half down. It's probably halfway from that screen down to the stage. And I looked and I saw a balcony. And for a moment I just realized, I don't have to die. 
death was arrested because something in my soul erupted and gave me a very specific set of directions of how I could get out of there and grab Bradley too. So Bradley came back and I said, Bradley, just do what I do. And I opened the window, I carefully flipped around, hung on, dropped, hit the balcony, rolled over because I knew he was coming. He hit, rolled, we both lived, his dad died. Yeah, the, the screaming stopped. And uh, he had passed away. But for us, for whatever reason, death was arrested. My life began. I can still remember on the New Jersey Turnpike or maybe the Garden State the next day realizing all of this would be still here and I wouldn't be here if that voice hadn't erupted in my soul. And so I moved from being an atheist to being a God believer like that. Because I knew God saved my life. I don't talk about this. Maybe 15 years ago, I started talking about it. I met a guy one night, uh, John Geiger, who's the Canadian president of the National Geographic Society. He had written a book called The Third Man Factor, where through history, for literally thousands of years, there are tales of entire companies of soldiers, Arctic explorers, people like Lindbergh, all these people who were in a life and death situation at that moment were given the specific directions of how to get out of that situation including the last survivor of the World Trade Tower, collapsed in the midst of bodies, fire everywhere. He looked up at the moment of death, and there was a man standing over him. He's in the book. And he went down, and he said, follow me. And he took him by the hand, and he said, where are we going? He said, we're going through that big flame, that wall of fire. And they walked right through that fire into what they wouldn't have known, except for that individual near his life was a stairway that no one was using. That person was the last recorded individual out of, I think it was World Trade Tower number one. May have been two, but it was one of those two, the last recorded. And so it's not really a near-death experience, but it's an at-death experience. And you come back changed. And I was changed from an atheist to being an agnostic. No, not agnostic, excuse me, becoming from an atheist to becoming a God-believer. That whole story is, is talked about in a second book he did called The Angel Effect, where he interviewed me more closely. But so I believed in God. I started hitchhiking to church, riding my Stingray bicycle. I know that's historic. <laughs> Getting a ride with somebody. Somehow I made it through confirmation. But I was the kid who went to church with no adult. I still go to this place once in a while. But they taught me about God. But they didn't tell me about how to be a follower of Jesus about have, to have a relationship with this heavenly father. That's why I call this story in a sense of father's love. My dad left when I was six. They just couldn't get together. They just didn't know what a marriage was. It's hard to have a marriage without an understanding of why God made us as individuals and what marriage is about. So they went their separate ways. But I found out that somebody stepped in, and that was the true father. I was with my dad even when he died with Parkinson's disease just a couple years ago, and he understood the things spiritually. It was a wonderful story. But so he wasn't there. I started to believe in God, but that was about it. I didn't realize that there's a step that develops more closely that father-son, father-daughter love with the person who made it all. So I went to school. I went to Penn State, just got caught up in Penn State kind of stuff. And, and then there was this young gal, a gal named Karma, who... Uh, you know, she's, she's an Alliance missionary now. And she decided to, I had some classes with her, and she decided to, 
to sort of care for this kid who uh, had part of the story but didn't have the whole story. And so she prayed for me. It's good that people pray for you. And then one day, she sat down opposite the engineering building on College Avenue at a bench there. And I sat down and she explained to me how I could have a living, authentic, deep relationship with God through Christ. And that he actually paid for all the stuff in my life upon a cross. And she just simply asked me, Dave, are you, are you interested? And I said, no. I said, thank you very much, but I'll try to find God myself. That's what words came out of my mouth. But my heart had totally caved in. I never told her that until maybe about a year ago. I said, you probably think that day that you had an individual who didn't care, but I caved into my heart. I wanted that knowledge of who made this world in a deeper, deeper way. Three days after that, I had a series of dreams. Three dreams. I know this is weird, but if you're talking to people who have Middle Eastern heritage, one out of every three people that I'm hearing that's coming to Christ in the Middle East today, this is from the, the top Syrian pastor who was in my doctoral module, is coming through having a dream. I'm not necessarily all that Middle Eastern, except we know that my great-grandfather who came to America with the name Jansen was probably very Jewish and escaped all of that, and there was a Middle Eastern background. For some strange reason, I really came to faith. I want to tell you very quickly those three dreams. I had my first dream two days later, lying in my bed, realizing I'd said no to God, but in my dream, for whatever reason, I had taken that step of having and becoming a full-fledged, full-desired follower of Christ. It shook me up so much, I woke up, I was in a sweat. I was so under the realization that he was there. And what did I say? Well, you know, Jesus, it's the start of summer break. Can you come back? Because you do say, <laughs> you do say you knock on the door of our life. And if we open the door, um, you'll come in. I said, well, look, let's just talk about this a little bit. I know you're knocking, but can you come back a little bit later? It's summer break. That's where I left it. And then I went down to a place called Asbury Park, New Jersey. It might be up here. And going to Azure Park, which in the 70s was kind of a weird place. And on one day, I got a job, 2nd Avenue Arcade. It might be a picture here. Janine, that's the first time I've ever seen a picture of this thing. So 2nd Avenue Arcade, I got a job, I got an apartment, and I met, two weeks later, a young girl to date. I'm like, that's like the trifecta for an 18-year-old guy. <laughs> you know, you got a job, you got an apartment, you got a young lady that you can date. And, and I knew, I, I knew, John, because I had sort of already caved in to God exists that, you know, I just wasn't a full-fledged follower. I said to myself, well, you know, he's up there. I said, I don't know you all that well, but whoever you are up there, would you show me the character of this girl? That's a weird 18-year-old guy prayer, you know? 18-year-old guy prayer is more like, hey, let's go to a nice place for dinner and but I don't know why. I think God inspired that prayer. But two nights after that, I had dream number two. This is the only reason I'm here. I wasn't all that impressed with the church. At that point, we didn't have a Mendham Hills Community Church that I could go to. You know, I didn't have all this good stuff. 
So I didn't know. I wasn't impressed by a lot of things. But I had this dream. I got, oh, I said goodnight, you know, 7 o'clock. And I, I went to bed. And I was crashed out from the day. I worked at a cigarette wheel. One spin, one would take choice. Cigarettes for your beds. You know? That was my job. You know? You get tired after 12, 10 hours of that stuff. And, and I went to bed. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, as I stand here today, I wake up having had this dream. Dream number two. Never had dreams after this. Dream number two, that she was over at this guy's house that I introduced her to by first names that day crossing First Avenue and Asbury Park. Chances of that? Mathematicians here? You want to take a side of that bet? Got up, went into the cool of the night in Asbury Park, walked about a half a mile, knocked on his door, and guess who answered the door? The girl. I didn't go in. I just stepped back, maybe gave a little salute, and walked away. I didn't care about her anymore. I was freaked out. She said she was sorry the next day. She said, oh, that's great, that's good. Dream number three. Probably two days after that. Probably July 3rd. July 3rd, 2.30 in the morning, if you know anything about the bars in New Jersey, which I hope you don't know too much about the bars in New Jersey, but in the bars, they close at 2 o'clock in Asbury Park. I don't know what they close at now, but this was 2.30 in the morning. That's a half hour after they close. Second night to the gal at 7 o'clock. Went to bed, 2.30, rocked by dream number three, got myself up. I can still feel myself putting on that flannel shirt. As I walk into the cool of that night, walked about two or three blocks, looked left, and who was standing there with the owner and about three other people? That girl. I was done in at that time. I just walked back and I just said, I don't know what's going on in my life, but I just had two dreams that came absolutely to reality and something's up. The next day, I'm, I'm there at the boardwalk, and the boardwalk, 75, so Andre the Giant walked by, if you know Andre the Giant, the birds walked by, I met Kiss before they had their makeup off. It was a weird town in some ways, but as I'm there in Asbury Park, uh, this gal just walks out of nowhere, and uh, she was at Coors Ice Cream or something like that, and she just put down an orangeade on my cigarette wheel and walked away. Well, I don't know, that was like the nicest thing anybody did to me in Asbury Park. And I went looking for her. You lose a girl, maybe you find a girl. Maybe that's what it's all about. And I'm starting to think, you know, whoever I prayed to sort of did show me the character of that first girl. So Kim walks back. She goes, hi, my name's Kim. How are you doing? I just want to thank you for that orange aid. It was great. Here's another one. Oh, it's just fabulous. And uh, she goes, and I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a believer in, in Jesus. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> that ends that. I've been through that story before. You know, I'm on the losing side of that page. And, and, and so <laughs> I lit up a cigarette, and I said, uh, change the subject as quick as you can. And I said, you know, Kim, where do you go to school? She goes, well, I go to Penn State. I go to Penn State. You go to Penn State? Yeah. You're a follower of Jesus? Yeah. 
you know this girl named Karma? Yeah. Oh, my world just went like this. And I was like, God, you caught me. How could I deny that he exists? And that night in my apartment building, I could hear the roller coasters in the background and all this business. I said, God, you've been seeking me. You've been hounding me all my life. How can I not but give all that I am to a father's love to you? You loved me in all my tough times. My mom was an alcoholic. Life was crazy. All those times, this heavenly father was with me. The tough times, the easy times, saved my life as a father would. You know, I, I, I learned on that summer, the rest of it in Asbury Park, how to do some things that are important to our life, like talk to God. And actually listen for that voice that saved my life years earlier. So maybe there's a picture of a jetty up there or maybe close to it. But on that jetty picture, that's where I, I learned to have a quiet time with God. Maybe at 10 o'clock at night when the moon was out or it was just beautiful. Maybe the stars and I wouldn't fall off the jetty. I'm a short kid, so I knew how to walk jetties. I go out to the end of that jetty. The Asbury Park way in the background and the sound of the roller coaster and all of that. I just learned to talk to God and learn to have God whisper his love into my soul. You know, I, I wonder if, if each of us have a place we go to. I think it's good to have a place to go to. Elijah went to the mountain. I've got places I go to when things just get tough, and it's, it's kind of a place where God meets me whenever I really need to be met. And another time, it's a place where I meet with him day by day just to talk. That's what I learned in Asbury Park. And so my life was really a journey of father's love that moved me from a place of a family that had no time for God to becoming a full believer. And I tell you now, it got some years on me. I love spiritual formation. Because what it is, very simply, is just allowing God to, to deepen that relationship with me and with you which is what a father's love has always wanted to do. You know, I, I, I used to think that, that God was there just to take all the fun out of life and this, and that's not the idea. I'll share that in a moment. But rather than that, he just wants to show his father's love to each of us here in this room. And so I took that journey. If you were to ask me then, Dave, what then is kind of the message of your heart, and this is kind of the interesting intersection of Mendham Hills Community Church and old friends becoming new friends and joining with you on this journey, because I'm a Jersey guy, um, to, to really see wonderful things happen in this area. I, John had two solid messages last week. We were here, you know, it's... Uh, that whole thing of David at 17, Goliath, that whole story. And then David at 47, kind of secure and life was good. And then bang, all of a sudden you have this huge thing that, that just fell everything apart in his life. Well, I had been reading this psalm for, for 35 days. Sometimes I do that, just center on the same thing for a period of time, rather than like a, a bee going from flower to flower. Every day I've been reading this. And as John was speaking last week, I'm like, oh, oh, wait, those are, th oh, those are the things. If you would ask for, for, for more of things, I would have given it to you. What's up, David? And, and, and you, you forgave my, what's up, David? 
And, and I was reading in the Psalm 103, and I realized it wasn't David at 17. He wrote it. It wasn't David at 47. It was probably David at 57. He lived to 70. And so here in the Psalm, he's reflecting back after 10 years of that deepening relationship with the Father. And even though so much had happened in his life, you know, when we go through crushing things and we get crashed and all this happens, we think that's it. But God knows how to rescue us from death and how with that to move us where life began. And so I've been reading this and I, I saw these five pieces and tell me if you can't reflect with us, if you're here last week or week before or caught it on, on online media, this is what David says and I'm moving in now to these, these pieces. It's not a full sermon, but I'm just giving you, this is kind of what I love about God. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Yeah. And all my innermost being, praise his holy name. Why not? Well, praise the Lord, my soul. And, and forget not all his benefits. John talked about that last week. The thing about David, he just forgot the benefits. He forgot all the things that God had done. And then he lists five, five or six things here that are specific. And this is what he says. This is kind of my message in my heart. Number one, wow, he forgives all our sins. He doesn't forgive 90%. He doesn't forgive all but that one thing. He doesn't forgive mighty, mighty this and that, but then that one kind of crazy thing is beyond it. You know, that thing that still sits there because you can't believe that God forgives you for that. And yet David here by the Spirit of God is saying, hold it. This is the message. He's not one who forgives 85%. He's an all-in guy. A father's love. I forgive all, all your sins. Let me ask you a question today. Are you hanging on to something? You hanging on to something? You know what it is. I don't. But God, your father's here in this room. He's saying he forgives you. I want you to take that right now and let the other stuff go. He forgives all your sins. Number two, what's the same thing here? He says this, he heals all your diseases. In the original language, it's, it's Rapha, which really makes, says he's, he, he makes us healthy full. Didn't make me 18, didn't give me the energy that John talked about today with Mike. I still have stuff, we all have stuff. Because stuff is stuff and you go on media and it tries to correct every little isotope and enzyme and chemical in our life. But God said, I'm just going to make you healthy full. And healthy full is spiritual, and it's emotional, and it's relational, and it's in every kind of department of your life. And you know, he does some cool stuff with healing too. Many of us experience that. He says, I, I just want to be the head of your healing team. Let me be your head physician. That's cool. Number three, he says, he redeems your life from the pit. You know, think about pits. I don't like to be in pits. You know, in life, am I not wrong on this? There are pits that people dig for you. Right? There are pits that are just pits because they're pits. And you fell in a pit. 
because he didn't know the pit was there. But then there, thirdly, there are pits that we build ourselves. I was talking to guys, I said, you know, there are pits, Lord, that I, I, I took the shovel myself and I dug the thing. I said, the beautiful thing is I can dig a pit no matter how much I dig it, you can redeem me out of it. You don't sit there and say, well, look, David, you dug it. I, I know I dug it, Lord. He goes, well, look, I forgive it. I can redeem you out of that pit. There's a lot of pits out there. Dugs can be a huge pit. All sorts of addiction. It's just like pits. It's a lot of pits. God says, I redeem you from those pits. I don't leave you in them. He says this, number four, he says, he crowns you with love and compassion. Yesterday we were talking to our daughter. She likes kind of like hats and things. And she was talking about some kind of hat. I'm not even going to mention it because I don't have one. But, but, you know, I don't have those kind of hats. I make hats look bad generally. But, but, but God's word says this. He says, I crown you. I crown you. With love and with compassion. What does that crown look like? It's a crown that makes me a monk or makes me strange. No. I've just been waiting as your dad to put a crown on your head. And that crown has upon the words of that crown love that I have for you and compassion because that's what I want to be known for. Wow. You say, maybe this isn't the God that somebody told me about. I thought he was like rocking on somebody's porch up there in heaven with a swatter just, just trying to swat us. And then he says this. This is really what John referred to this this morning. He said, who satisfies your desires with good things. You know, we kind of read that as, who makes you astringent by taking out good things. Who finds something you like to do with your life and calls it out. Now, there are things, that's a different message. Things can become idols. But he says, this is my heart as your dad. I really want to satisfy your desires with good things. That's why when David was 47, the Lord said to him the same thing. You know, if you would just ask for something bigger, I really could have considered giving it to you. That doesn't mean he wants us all to have humongous cars. If something's bad for us, he's going to be like a father and not let us go berserk. But you know, your gardens, or the dog you love, or even the cat you love, I can't say for the Jets because they're not always doing as good as we want them to do. But the good things in our life, you got that job, you got that promotion. Look who you're sitting next to. That person is a gift to you. Believe it or not. And you're a gift to that person. And you got kids. And you got friends. And you got a church. And you come here and get great coffee. It's free. It's good. <laughs> and when we stop to think about the benefits, he's saying, I'm the God who's just saying to you, I love to fulfill some of the desires of your heart. Why? Because it says it renews you. 
You know, if you've got some gray hair like I do and you're sitting down there and something good happens, you forget about time. You just realize something great happened. God says, that's who I am. And he goes on and he says this, I want your, your youth to be renewed like an eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Uh, now, why does he do that? I'm just going to give you some words. The next section of that, one through five, is this is what I do. And then the next verses are, this is because who I am. Read Psalm 103. Read it every day for a week. You'll find yourself transformed. I was. And then in these next verses, I just want to read the words that are in this text where God says, this is who I am. I'm compassionate. I'm gracious. I'm slow to anger. I'm a bounding in love. Do you ever come up, you're taking a walk, and here's this dog, maybe a golden lab, and it sees you. It doesn't know you from anybody, but you were like the most exciting thing they've seen that day till the next person comes up, and they're bounding at you, and the leash, the person on the leash is trying to hold them back, and that dog is just slobbering you with love. God's not a golden retriever, but that dog abounds. God says, you know something? I abound over you, and you may not even know it. So great is his love for those who fear him. The worship team can come up. And as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on us. You know, maybe some of you, your dad left. I know that world. Maybe some of you, there was abuse in the family. Maybe for some of you, you've kind of wished things made more sense in life. I want to tell you, there is a Father's love directed at you. I found in my life I can believe in God, but yet not give my life as a full-fledged follower through a relationship through Christ by receiving Him as He knocks on the door of my life and said, David, if you just open the door, I'll come in with a Father's love and life will change. Maybe you're here today and that's on your heart. That's what spiritual transformation is all about. Just give in to him because he's knocking on your life like mine just because he loves you. Amen? All right.